question, of course, becomes, well, how how do you know your Christianity is any any different and not just another version of the other Christianities? And then we're into some really interesting stuff, baby. Woo! Hey everybody, Mike here. Welcome to the Vox Podcast. So glad that you are tuning in. Um, welcome to the show. I'm here with my lovely and talented uh, producer, Tim. Tim, say hello. Hello, Vox. We've had a, a very big couple of weeks in the uh, in the Vox Podcast. Number one, uh, I discovered that Tim has a Pearl Jam tattoo in on his leg <laughs> of the uh, stick man from the early 90s important discoveries it is i you know just when i thought you couldn't be cooler uh, (laughs) i blow your mind the second thing that that happened of course was that jesus rose from the dead and uh obviously not within the last two weeks but we celebrated the event within the last couple of weeks and then these are uh, not in uh these are not (laughs) well and i was that i was gonna say um the third one is that we both seen avengers endgame and yes um and uh thanos does not rise from the dead let's just let's just spoilers spoilers put put it that way um so anyway uh and and I, I'm, you know, I love my my son Nate and I love the Marvel movies, and we talk, you know, they spur a lot of discussion in our house. Tim has been a comic book guy from, I mean, how old were you when you started getting into it? As long as I can remember, my very first toy or stuffed animal that was purchased for me prior to my coming out into this world, being. <laughs> Or being born, I guess is the the correct way to say that. <laughs> was a Spider Man doll. So that, and I still have it. That's my oldest uh, my oldest toy. So Spider Man wow. go back as far as I can remember. Wow. Okay. One of the one of my first that I remember, and here's our age difference, uh, was the original set of Star Wars figures. Oof, like you had to you had to mail you had to send in <laughs> a form. And that they would be mailed to you. I mean, I will never forget getting them in the mail. And, um, and like, yeah. And had I known they'd be worth half a billion dollars, you know, later, I would have just kept them in those boxes. But, you know, who knows? They look look too fun. In a plastic bag that uh, my kids play with. So, um, so Tim, today we need to correct some misinformation on the internet, not about Pearl Jam, not about Endgame, but rather about the resurrection. And so um, we're, I want us to hearken a week or so back to that Easter Sunday morning. And, uh, you know, we, we had gone to church on Saturday um, because it's, it's Sunday in Israel is the way I look at it. So we went to Easter Saturday church and I got up and I was browsing Twitter, enjoying the many uh, statements of resurrection, he is risen and tomb was empty. And then I come across a tweet that, um, that I, I gotta be honest, man, I gotta be honest. It disturbed my, the resurrection vibe I had going that day because it was, um, it was a, a link. So it was, it was from the president of union seminary. Okay. Her name is Serene Jones, which is really one of the coolest names I've ever heard. Let's just start That's there. A cool name. And 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 she's a serious theologian, obviously the head of a seminary. 
And, um, and, 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 and in it, she'd said, hey, you can believe in resurrection without believing that Jesus rose from the dead. All right. And then it linked to an article in, uh, in the New York Times um, that it was an interview with her about resurrection and Easter and Christianity and so on. And, uh, and so my resurrection vibe was disrupted by this, this said tweet um, because it, it and, and it raised a much I've been I've been eager to have this conversation and it raised a big question for me about when is theological gatekeeping appropriate? When's it necessary? When's it needed? When um, you know, when when do you go? Um, against not ever a person, but against a view, uh, pretty hard. You know what I mean. And and I, for some reason, I found myself fired up on Easter Sunday morning about uh, about this this tweet that was um, you know innocuous enough in terms of yeah, I wasn't offending anybody specifically, but it was just hey, you can believe in resurrection without the resurrection of Jesus. And then it linked to this uh, article, and I wanna, if it's alright with you, Tim, I wanna um, I wanna quote. A big part of this article, because uh, it's a back and forth between Serene Jones and then um, Nicholas Kristof, who has done a series of interviews like with Tim Keller and other famous sort of religious figures. That's a and, good name, too. And what, Tim Keller or Nicholas no, Kristof? Well, Tim Keller. Tim's are always great, but uh, Nicholas Kristof. <laughs> well, Nicholas Kristof. Like a name from Frozen. No, it, it, what it is, bro, is it's from left behind, and it is clearly the name of the Antichrist. And <laughs> oh, <no>. so <laughs> if you go back and read the left behind books, which, as I hear, are you know word-by-word word accounts from Revelation directly, um, you find out that Nicholas uh, Christoph <laughs> is – because what, what's Christoph? Christ off. See? I mean, that, it's, it's proven. So <laughs> The creativity is off the charts. So Enough to bring you, Nicholas Cage in. Didn't he make the movie? I mean, after holier than now, our who's who's our patron saint actor? Oh, Kirk Cameron. Kirk Cameron. Mike Seaver. Yes, very dreamy. But but I digress, because Tim, Easter Sunday, the world breathlessly waited for my tweeted reaction to this <laughs> to this interview. So I, I tweeted an Easter Sunday tweet. I tweeted. And in my indignation, I said something like, I don't know. I don't even remember what I said. Who cares? But her article raised a bunch of points I want to talk about. But the bigger point I want to talk about is when is gatekeeping okay? Because when I tweeted my tweet out, which the world was breathlessly awaiting, um, I got a tweet back that said, okay, great. But aren't you the dude that snickers at the theological dogmatic folks, you know, in interviews with Bonnie and Rob Bell? So where's the line? And I thought, ooh, how dare someone call me out on any double standards that I may have? But I thought that was a great question worthy of discussion. Okay, so so if it's all right with you, I'm going to, with that context um, in the Twitter sphere, uh, I want to read um, her, her interview. And I just want to offer comments and see what you think. And cause I think there's some stuff here that's, that's super interesting to talk about, but the bigger point isn't just her view. It's, um, when, when is it okay to get fired up? And I don't mean angry, but I, I just mean like, um, when, when do we really go at, uh, after something? If, if, 
if we're not going to sit and fight over, you know, was was uh, creation six days long as six thousand years ago, even though some want to go to the wall on that. What what do we go to the wall on and when is that appropriate? So this was obviously when I was like, oh, this seems pretty fairly central. So Christoph says, first off, you see what I did there. Happy Easter, Reverend Jones. To start. Do you think of Easter as a literal flesh and blood resurrection? I, he says, have problems with that. Again, Christ off. There you go. <laughs> she, uh, Serene Jones, responds, when you look at the Gospels, the stories all over the, are, are all over the place. That's true. There's no resurrection story in Mark, just an empty tomb. Well, that's true. Those who claim to know whether or not it happened are kidding themselves. That's true, except that the other three gospels are pretty clear in, in saying, no, no, it wasn't just an empty tomb. It was resurrection appearances also. So, um, so I agree that, you know, if, if I'm, I'm sitting here proffering opinions on whether or not the resurrection happened apart from the eyewitness testimony, uh, at least of the appearances of Jesus. Yes. I, what's the point of that? But it, it does seem like, well, you do have some folks who said they saw the G, the, the Jesus, that had supposedly died and, you know, the tomb was now empty. So you have Jesus died and there, the Romans were good at crucifixion. He was buried and the tomb was empty. And then you have him appearing again. That's the three-step sequence that, that the gospels portray. So I would just, I would disagree with her a little bit. She says, but the empty tomb symbolizes that the ultimate love in our lives cannot be crucified and killed. And, and I got to be honest, Tim, and I, I hope this is charitable, but I have no flipping idea what that means. I, I mean, is that, is that, you know, is that kind of like saying it's an archetypical story and good wins over evil? And, um, you know, I mean, I, I really don't get how you, how you get Jesus was, he died a terrorist. He died at the hands of terrorists. And it was awful. And he was, you know, abandoned. And then his disciples said he had risen. But actually what it's showing us is that, that, you know, love triumphs over all. I mean, I just don't, I don't know how we get that from that. I mean, that's why I'm not, uh, you know, bless, I'm not sure just how that would work exactly. So the empty tomb symbolizes that the ultimate love in our lives cannot be crucified or killed. Okay. But um, that's obviously not the claim that the, that the gospel writers are making. <laughs> and I don't even know theoretically how you kind of get to that one. But but she continues. Uh, and I'm trying to, you know, again, I mean, we always want to be so charitable and give the benefit of the doubt. And so I'm I'm trying to be playful. Uh, but but I do think this conversation deeply matters. What was that? Was that your phone? What was that? Uh, it was a baseball update. Oh, oh, well, okay. I don't, then, I, then, hey, <laughs> we don't, don't you dare edit that out because it totally sounded like you just ripped one on the podcast. You know, um, we have very sensitive conversations get me. <laughs> now, now she continues for me, it's impossible to tell the story of Easter without also telling the story of the, of the cross. Amen to that. The crucifixion is a first century lynching. I wouldn't use that again, not that anyone's caring or asking, but lynching, there's a racial thing behind that. And, and there's certainly, certainly from the, the Jews and Gentiles, there was racial animosity, but 
Man, crucifixion was an act of terror. I mean, that's beheading of Christians, right? What ISIS does. I mean, this is, this is. Um, I think this is. If there is such a thing more brutal than lynching, we're looking at it. Um, so the crucifixion is a first century lynching. It couldn't be more pertinent to our world today. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely, hurrah. Um, but but uh, Nicholas kind of you know, picks up on the fact that that isn't kind of the normal belief. And he says, but without a physical resurrection, isn't there a risk that we are left with just the crucifixion, right? So how, how can we say that God, that love actually triumphs over everything if, you know, if the crucifixion is the only reality, the only historical event that we trust in that whole narrative. So here's what she says. And again, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm not questioning her as a person. I'm sure she would answer this much deeply if we were interviewing her. I get all of that. Um, but, but she says, crucifixion is not something that God is orchestrating from upstairs. And again, I mean, that's interesting because that's kind of exactly what the apostles preach in the book of Acts. That this, that God did orchestrate this with the, with the help of evil men. And uh, that doesn't absolve anybody of anything. It's just that God did orchestrate a bit of this. And, and what she means by orchestrate, she clarifies, she says, the pervasive idea of an abusive Godfather who sends his own kid to the cross so God could forgive people is nuts. For me, the cross oh. is an enactment of human hatred. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. You got to keep it, buddy. <laughs> So random. I don't know why now this is a thing when it hasn't <laughs> what, been before. What baseball alert are we getting? I mean, do you want to share it with our, our audience? Uh, it's MLB, whatever the MLB app is. And it's just it's giving just, you scores? I don't know, because it just, just says that it's happening. But uh, Okay. Yeah, well, probably scores or something that's happening. Okay. Something that's of utmost importance. They make a notifications button on the on the iPhone that you can turn that off. I'm just throwing yeah. that out there. I'm going to do um, it right now. No, no, no. You don't, you don't have to do it. I'm just... <laughs> we don't so, want any more gassy interruptions. <laughs> so good. So um, so she says, um, the pervasive idea of an abusive godfather who sends his own kid to the cross so God could forgive people is nuts. For me, the cross is an enactment of our human hatred. But what happens on Easter is the triumph of love in the midst of suffering. Isn't that reason for hope? Now... Again, lots to agree with um, uh, and lots to disagree with. Uh, the pervasive idea of an abusive godfather who sends those kid to the cross. We've talked a lot about that. And yes, I think that that picture of what was happening uh, within the Trinity uh, on the cross is absolutely incorrect. And um, I think it is a harmful picture that God is some angry parent and the son steps forward and says, if, if you have to hit somebody, hit me. And, um, so I, I totally agree. I totally agree with that sentiment. Uh, and I agree that the cross is the enactment of, of the worst of humanity. She words it as human hatred, of course, but that is the greatest that evil can do is to torture, humiliate, and ultimately murder someone. That's the, that's the biggest triumph of evil right there over a individual person. Uh, and she then says, but what happens on Easter is the triumph of love in the midst of suffering. Isn't that reason for hope? Now, again, in what way does love triumph if the resurrection story isn't true? I guess it just becomes a metaphor of good winning over evil. But then, in, but what exactly then gives us reason that that's true? 
Um, I mean, if you were to take a purely evolutionary uh, view and materialistic view of the world, what what reason do you have in proclaiming that good will win? Um, I, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm just not sure where that idea is generated within a Christian story that doesn't have like a, a, the conquering of death and a physical sort of resurrection. Now, I'm sure she would have lots of thoughts on this. So again, because it's so abbreviated, it's easy to pick out little bits and pieces. Um, uh, Nicholas responds, and, and, and Tim, make sure I'm like I'm moving through this quickly enough, but not too quick. Cause I, yeah. you know, they're the only thing I'm more boring. Than, okay. All right. Um, he then picks up on the child abuse theme and he says, well, how do we reconcile an omnipotent, uh, all powerful and omniscient, all knowing God, how do we reconcile that God with evil and suffering? And she says at the heart of faith is mystery. God is beyond our knowing, not a being or an essence or an object. And I don't know what that means. In other words, of course, mystery is at the heart of faith. No question. But God is not beyond our knowing insofar as God has revealed God's self to us. And so if Jesus, the claim of the New Testament is that Jesus is the definitive and ultimate revelation of God's true essence. So agreed in a vacuum, God is beyond our knowing, but it seems like it's the claim of the Jesus writers. And if you trust them, the claim of Jesus himself, that he is revealing the father in a way that we can know the father. Um, uh, so, so I, when she says God is not a being, I don't know. I, I kind of go, well, I, I don't know. I think God seems to desire relationship and personhood and personality and all those sorts of attributes. Um, I don't know. I would probably say God is a being, but I, I don't know what she means. She says, but I don't worship an all-powerful, all-controlling, omnipotent, omniscient being. This is a fabrication of Roman theory and Greek mythology. That is not the God of Easter. The God of Easter is vulnerable and is connected to the world in profound ways that don't involve manipulating the world, but constantly inviting us into love, justice, and mercy. And again, I, I don't, the, the historical construal of God is all powerful and all controlling. I disagree with two. Um, absolutely. God is not the author of evil. And so um, I don't believe he sits and controls the, the damage we do to each other. No question about that. And I do believe the God of Easter is vulnerable and connected to the world. Absolutely true. So, so okay. But then Nicholas, and he's asking a natural progression of questions. Well, isn't Christianity without a physical erection? Of... <laughs> oh, my Lord. Oh, this is what happens when we record late. Good night. Oh, okay. Let me rephrase. Oh, this is Vox off the uh, cuff, Vox unplugged. on the raw, uh, not Vox yeah. in the buff. Vox on Vox the rocks. Off the cuff. Vox on the rocks. <laughs> um, <laughs> for me, <laughs> okay, so isn't a Christianity without a physical resurrection <laughs> less powerful and awesome? When the message is about love, that's less religion and more philosophy. Now, again, she responds, for me, the message of Easter is that love is stronger than life or death. So evidently, the, the way that Jesus was raised in this, in her understanding, and again, I'm projecting onto her, 
um, is that that the, the the disciples loved their love for Jesus um, transformed them into people who you know were engaging in love and justice and mercy in a way that transformed the ancient world and kind of brought the spirit of Jesus forward in our imaginations through you know their willingness to sacrifice and to serve and and love. So the That's idea it. then would be that <clears throat> Jesus's death inspired the apostles and the people going forward, not his resurrection. Well, no, I I think, and again, I don't know what she would say, but what I've heard um, theologians from this sort of camp say is that Jesus, and they would never say it like this, but Jesus is kind of resurrected in our hearts, right? You know, when we're at a funeral and, and you say, well, they'll live forever in me, you know, and you're like, oh, okay. You know, so so there maybe there was a collective awareness or consciousness of 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 Jesus or his death um, validated his message in, in the sense that it is far better to die at the hands of your enemies than to kill your enemies with your hands, right? I mean, so so it was something. So he's either a moral exemplar or um, it, it's a it's a story about how how our affection for Jesus kept kept Jesus alive in the earth. Something. I mean, I would I, you know. Something along those lines. Um, now, now, but listen to what she says after this. She says, uh, the message of Easter is that love is stronger than life or death. And cool, I love that. And she says, that's a much more awesome claim than they put Jesus in the tomb and three days later he wasn't there. Oh, now this is juicy. So what she's saying is, okay, listen, the Easter is actually less epic if you're saying, hey, they put him in a tomb and three days later he was there or he wasn't there. Got it. What's more epic, according to her, is that love is co- is stronger than life or death. Okay, cool. But the the claim of the first Christians wasn't that they put him in a tomb and he wasn't there. It was they put him in a tomb. We went to look for him. He wasn't there. And oh, we've seen him. And and it's not just that we saw him in some hallucinatory hallucination sense. <laughs> it's that we. We, we touched him. We, he was flesh and blood. He was new humanity. He was fully dead and buried. And yet there, he's now new in some phys, still physical way. I mean, it's like if that claim's true, then that claim is way more awesome than just love is stronger than life or death, right? If it's true that death has been defeated, you can actually, actually, actually experience forgiveness, reconciliation, renewal, healing, all of those sorts of things here and now, and that death no longer has to has to um, dominate our thinking and the depression and divorce and all those things don't have the last word. I mean, that seems to be a bit more epic of a claim. So the claim of Easter isn't that there he was in a tomb, he wasn't there. No, 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 no. It was he was in a tomb, he wasn't there because he had risen from the dead and conquered death and inaugurated the beginnings of a new creation that God had been promising the whole time. Then she says, and this is where it gets so good, so good. She says, for Christians, for whom the physical resurrection becomes a sort of obsession, there, that seems to me to be a pretty wobbly faith. What if tomorrow someone found the body of Jesus still in the tomb? Would that mean that Christianity was a lie? No, faith is stronger than that. And I see it the exact opposite way. This is so great that she says this. Because to me... 
the whole thing rests on the historical claim that there was a real person named Jesus, that Jesus did stuff in the world and taught stuff in the world, was crucified on a Roman cross, was found not to be wrapped in linens in a tomb, but found to be teaching and ministering and doing miracles and doing the stuff he was doing before his death, now after his death to his closest followers. And oh my goodness, if, that, if that's what she wants to call a wobbly faith, then absolutely. Absolutely. If you, if you could definitively show that these are the bones of the historical Jesus of Nazareth, I would absolutely abandon Christianity uh, immediately. Absolutely. I would still believe in God. I have independent be- reasons to believe in God. But, I, but so much for Jesus, man. I mean, like, <clears throat> that, that to me is a bit mind-blowing because um, it, it, if Christianity were philosophy— uh, that 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 says that love is stronger than life or death. Well, then, yeah, of course, it doesn't depend on the uh, historical resurrection. And 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 even for those of us for whom the resurrection isn't some obsession, it, it's kind of the foundation of the whole freaking thing. And this is where Paul, like Paul, chimes in in this beautiful. So in First Corinthians fifteen, Paul quotes. And, the, and he quotes an authoritative tradition that was handed to him by the church fathers and mothers, right? By the earliest faithful followers of Jesus, this was the tradition he was handed. And we know it's a tradition because he brackets it off. He says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand by this gospel, by this message. You are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. All right. So that's how important this is. And then he says, for what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. Now, received and passed on were technical words that rabbis would use of the passing on of a tradition. Paul only uses them one other place. and, And it's in 1 Corinthians 11 when he talks about the Lord's Supper. And he quotes this tradition as authoritative. He does that here with the following creed, right? It's a very short creed that simply says, and he calls this of first importance. In other words, there is nothing more central to the Christian faith than this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that on the third day he was raised according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas Peter and then to the 12. And then he, he records some other appearances. And then he goes on to argue if the dead, and and then obviously there were some in the Corinthian church who did not believe that in any sense of resurrection. So Paul begins by saying, hey, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have also fallen asleep or died in Christ, they're actually lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. In in other words, (laughs) to say that if someone found the body of Jesus in the tomb, um, would that mean that Christianity is a lie? And she says, no, faith is stronger than that. No, actually, it's not. Actually, our faith is tied to that that event, that thing. Now, again, you can argue, well, I don't think there's any evidence to believe it. That's great. That's great. Argue that. Or, you know, I just think they, they had some sort of hallucination and, um, and, uh, great. 
argue that. I've heard all sorts of arguments against the, but but what you can't say, if if you're saying you're operating within the Christian tradition, is that the res- physical resurrection of Jesus just doesn't matter. <laughs> you can't say that, like the like the, there just isn't, and 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 so this idea that somehow faith is stronger than that. No, this this is this is something that that in in my view. Um, is wobbly in the sense that it, if you could show that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the whole thing crumbles. The whole thing crumbles, right? Then you're just then you're left with Judaism. In my case, all right, I would become Jewish, yeah, um, and uh, and convert to Judaism because uh, I there I still see something beautiful about the story of God and the story of Israel. And but obviously Jesus wasn't Messiah, yeah. So so I don't know. So anyway, I mean I'm not. And this is so important to him. I don't want to dogpile on her. It's she's illustri- illustrating an important viewpoint that I think is wrong. But more than that, I'm exercising theological gatekeeping, and I'm doing that knowing that the question that's going to come next is, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't like theological gatekeepers, so how can you be one? And <laughs> that's the that's where I'm driving to. Make sense? Yep. All right. So we're still moving. We're half an hour in. Dang it. That's because you because of your phone. We're good, man. We're cruising. And the erection of, of Jesus, evidently. <laughs> <laughs> good night. Oh man. I hope I've never said that on, on a sermon on Easter Sunday. That would be awesome. I'm sure All you right. would have heard back. <laughs> <laughs> now, um uh there's just a couple other things from this from this interview that I wanna um I want to point out, uh, he asks her about what about the other miracles of the new Testament, say the virgin birth. She says, I find the virgin birth, a bizarre claim. It has nothing to do with Jesus's message. The virgin birth only becomes important. If you have a theology in which sexuality is considered sinful, it also promotes the notion that the pure untouched female body is the best body. And that idea has led to centuries of oppressing women. Uh, so, so things, things to think first, is the virgin birth a bizarre claim? Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. And I think Christians forget how dumb this all sounds. I mean, how absolutely ridiculous this all sounds to somebody. You know, that yes, that God has made us. I mean, think about the story you have to tell. So we're, we're God took dust and breathed into us. And then he took a, the side of the man and formed a woman and then there was this talking snake and these two trees, and then God kicks them out with an angel with a flaming sword, and then they marry evidently their relatives who we've never read about before, but are populating other parts of the earth, and then God gets pissed and says, screw it, I'm starting over, and um, and then when he starts over, the first thing the dude he starts over with does is get naked and drunk, when and, and there's some weird sexual thing happening with one of his sons. And then he calls some old guy with his and his old wife, and, and, and he says, you're going to have a kid, but then it doesn't happen for years, and they keep trying, and they try to force God's hand, and you know, then it happens, and then God says, hey, let's kill that kid, right? I just want to see if you'd love me that much, you know, that you would sacrifice this kid. And then, and then there are all these promises about, you know, some awesome thing coming, and then, and then, and then there's this little, there's this virgin girl impregnated by the spirit, and and Joseph has a, 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 a you know, I mean, you're just like, this sounds, this sounds, <laughs> oh my lord, 
And, and so I'm on a campaign to keep Christianity weird, Amen. right? Portland can be weird. Austin can be weird, but I think Christianity is weird too. And, and I think that Christians do a great disservice to people when we don't recognize how bizarre some of this stuff is. Now, whether or not we have reasons, good reasons to believe it is a separate issue. We just got to say, if, if you're just, if you landed, um, uh, you know, from somewhere else and we were trying to explain this thing to you, it, it would be, it would be pretty interesting. Right. <laughs> but I do think the virgin birth is important. Even if you like, I do, I don't think, um, se- uh, sexuality is sinful. Um, I, I think there are some Catholic theologians who've argued that sexuality is sinful. And so Mary was a perpetual virgin, which is tough to square with the idea that Jesus had brothers and sisters. Um, and no question, Christianity has been oppressive to women. No question. And whacked on sexuality. No question about that. But, but the way the virgin birth has played out in, in traditional Christian theology doesn't have anything to do with the female form being the best form. It's had to do with how sin was thought to be passed from one generation to the other. And that uh, because there was no father involved in Jesus's birth, uh, he could actually be called God's son, but because he was God's son, he could actually be called sinless. Um, original sin had not been transmitted to him in some understandings uh, of, of certain theological systems. And so, uh, and then you've got the idea that Jesus, uh, that, that Jesus uh, was, fully, was fully divine as well as fully human. And the idea that, that there was both a, a human participant that carried Jesus to natural pregnancy, but there was the spark of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, there, there, there seems to be importance for who Jesus turns out to be, but you know, anyway, it is bizarre. No question. Okay. Uh, he says, what happens when we die? She says, I don't know. There may be something, there may be nothing. My faith is not tied to some divine promise about the afterlife. People who behave well in this life only to achieve an afterlife that's a faith driven by a selfish motive. And I can understand that, right? If I, if I only do good so I can go to heaven. Um, she said, for me, living a life of love is driven by the simple fact that love is true. And I'm, abs- and I'm absolutely certain that when we die, there is not a group of designated bad people sent to burn in hell. That does not exist. But hell is a symbolic reality. When we reject love, we create hell. And hell is what we see around the world today in so many forms. Right. So that's, you know, we can get all into hell like we've done before. Now, one more fascinating bit and then we'll move on. Christoph has asked this question of other people he's interviewed. And he says, for someone like myself who is drawn to Jesus's teaching, but doesn't believe in the virgin birth of the physical resurrection, what am I? Am I a Christian? She says, well, you sounded awful lot like me and I'm a Christian minister. And then she goes on to talk about how, how Christianity is. Um, at a real crossroads, similar to what it was like at the Reformation. She gives a little context, but, but, but her, her claim here obviously is, listen, you don't have to swallow the parts of Christianity, the orthodox historical, you know, Christianity. You don't have to swallow those parts that you find untenable or ridiculous. You can kind of hold on to this generic idea of love and uh, that resurrection is a metaphor for love, you know, conquering evil. And you can be a Christian minister. Now, now, my, my 
my tweet that the world was anxiously waiting for, that, that God himself on Resurrection Sunday was like, you know. It's a timeout, everybody. We need, we need to call Erie in to kind of settle this one. <laughs> the hubris. We're, we're just, it's so ridiculous. But I couldn't help myself. And so I tweeted, uh, of course you can choose not to believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus. No problem. Just don't pretend to be Christian in any meaningful sense of the word. Christians are precisely those who proclaim that Jesus is the risen Lord. So my, and, and what I mean by that, whether I said it well or not, is um, we, we are, uh, well, hold on. Let me get to the response. All right. Then the response that I got from a, a friend was, hey, aren't you the same dude that snickered at those dogmatic Christians? Oh, uh, in podcast with Bonnie and Rabel. So which is dogmatic, which is faithful? Who's the Pharisee? Who's the heretic? Where is the line? All right. Which is a phenomenal question. Yeah. Now. Um, so here's what I want to say. What I want to say is, um, first of all, that, that if you begin to deny the central tenets of the Christian faith, then why would you call yourself Christian? And not just something else. I mean, I, I get like being attracted to the teachings of Jesus, but when the uh, teachings of Jesus include talking about some sort of hellfire and eschatological judgment and a conservative sexual ethic and, um, and, and you know, the validation in some way, uh, shape or form of, of the Old Testament. And right. I mean, you're why, you know, uh, just Why? Why, uh, to me, in my campaign to keep Christianity weird, I do think <laughs> there there is a place where you cease being a Christian, even though you're a fan of Jesus, right? I mean, because uh, it, it seems like the central sort of thing, and this is what Paul's saying, it's of first importance. He was buried according to the scripture, or excuse me, he died according to our scriptures for our sins. He was buried and he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, uh, so Paul isn't saying these are actually isolated incidents. He's saying, no, this is actually fulfillment and completion and, and recapitulation of stuff that came much earlier in the story. And so, so I, I don't have any problem with somebody thinking this is a buttload of crap. I got it. Uh, I, I, guess, I guess I have a problem with people who say that, that you can be a, quote, Christian and deny all of that stuff. And, and what I want to say is, well... Let's contrast being boundary focused and being center focused. If you're new to the podcast, one of the most important podcasts we ever did was really early on. I, I don't even remember the number and Tim's going to hate me because he gave me a list of topics. I don't remember. I definitely gave you a list. You definitely gave me a list and I don't remember what it is, but let's not get hung up on that. But it was talking about uh, that it's dealing with set theory, bounded sets versus centered sets. And, um, and it, and it was hugely shaped my thinking about on the church and about mission and all these sorts of things. And the idea is that, that, that what is it that separates groups from other groups? What separates insiders from outsiders in group settings, right? So you take a club soccer team and you say, well, what separates the club soccer team from the, from the, uh, the spectators? Well, lots of things, right? I mean, there's a physical delineation. There's the fact that 
the the soccer players have tried out they've been uh, approved and accredited by the team they've undergone you know physicals and and examination and and they receive paychecks i mean there's all sorts of ways to demarcate uh who's a spectator and who's a player when it comes to professional soccer correct so, so there's a boundary is the word that we use. There's a boundary. Physically, there's a boundary, but also procedurally and, and talent-wise, there are boundaries all over the place. Bounded sets are, uh, are sets or groups that focus uh, on maintaining and clarifying the boundaries between what separates the group from uh, anyone else. And so every group will have boundaries or else they're not a group. They're just some random, you know, hodgepodge. But if they're a group, there are boundaries to that group. And, um, and the way, and this becomes very important, the way the boundaries are used is what distinguishes a boundary-focused group from a center set or center-focused group. And, and this is what I mean. Um. The, the, the way in a boundary-focused organization that you delineate insiders and outsiders is that you have boundary markers. And the boundary markers can be anything. Let's just keep it close to Christianity. Uh, do you affirm our statement of beliefs? Do you see the Bible as trustworthy? Uh, what's your view on LGBTQ you know, stuff? Um, uh, do you believe the Bible is a literal six day creation, 6,000 years old, or if you don't, then you don't believe the Bible. Um, or it can be practices. You have to be baptized three times underwater by an official representative or your baptism doesn't count. Or, you know, if you've got to be approved for membership before you can take communion, right? So these are all examples of well, there are very clear boundaries, right? We know who's in and who's out. And if you want to be an insider, there's a list of things to do or believe or say that make you one of those. Um, and th that can provide the reassurance of your group status because, well, I've crossed whatever boundary was placed in front of me. Centered set groups uh, are different. And what, what defines a center set group or a center focused group isn't some adherence to boundary, rather it is the relationship of the individual members to the center. So in the Jesus example, uh, how, what would you call, what, where would you call people Christian? Well, it wouldn't be in what you say, like, hey, I'm a Christian, or what you sing, I sing Christian songs, or whether or not I was raised a Christian, or whether or not I've gone to church, or whether or not I've affirmed some ethereal creed, right? In, in the scriptures, in the teachings of Jesus, it's very clear. If you love me, you will obey my commands, right? It, there's, a, there's a faith and allegiance part to, to Jesus that includes believing, but it's bigger than that. And so people can say, even Jesus critiques the religious leaders, hey, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Or you will, knew, you will know true or false believers by their fruit. And so what Jesus is doing in his teaching is he's not talking about, here's the boundary markers. He, in fact, he was very, very uh, intentional about violating some of the Jewish boundary markers that had grown up to become boundary markers that were not intended to be so. But rather what Jesus does is introduce kind of a, a centered set movement where the only thing that matters is your relationship to him, to the center, right? That's the big difference. 
what makes me a Jesus follower? It's not because I've done X, Y, or Z. It's because I'm moving towards Jesus. Um, and, and, and if you map this out spatially, picture a big circle with an X in the middle, you could have people who are in close proximity to the middle who are moving away from Jesus. And you can have people who are in far proximity uh, from the middle moving towards Jesus, right? So all that is to say, when you, when you get into who's the faithful follower of Jesus, you're in pretty tricky ground. And, and, and so we naturally try to clarify by throwing up boundaries. However, and, and let me just give one, one final example. And I, I quote this all the time. I know it's boring, but John Ortberg, farming, cattle. There are a couple of ways to keep cattle in one location. First way, and I don't know that this is true, but it sounds really great in theory. First way is a boundary. You create a boundary. You build a fence. This is what keeps the cattle inside. Um, and they're my cattle. And I know they're my cattle because they're inside the fence. Uh, a center-focused farm or ranch would, um, and, and this is Ortberg's example, would, would rather build the only well in a, of, of fresh water in a certain place so that all of the cattle stay close because that's the place where they get fresh water. Right, so you can build a boundary or you could build a center. I've always wanted to be a center-focused kind of person and anything I'm involved with to be a center-focused sort of um, organization. And uh, so when it comes to people who are focusing on the boundaries, I do get a little fussy and sometimes sarcastic and snickery. Um, and, and because I do think there is a lot of, of Christianity expressed in its boundary marking forms that isn't, uh, of first importance and nor is it necessarily biblical. I don't think it's biblical to demand that people give 10% to the church. I don't think it's biblical to demand that somebody pray and accept Jesus in their heart. Um, and if they haven't done that, that they have to do that. Um, you know, I mean, I think there are all sorts of assumptions that we carry into Christian subculture and we can talk about those another time, but, but sometimes those will become the boundary markers, right? Within the, the history of the church, there are people who, uh, have believed that God will ultimately save everybody. Um, so yeah, when I'm talking to Rob and Rob's getting smashed for a book, no one's read yet. Uh, and where he's hinting at his, at universalism. Okay. I don't agree. I don't think Jesus agrees. I think there's another view out there, but we're not just farewelling him because he crossed some imaginary boundary. So no, no question guilty of snickering when it comes to elevating secondary issues and making them boundary markers so that people feel inside or outside. No question. However, the reason this gets me um, in a mode of, I don't know, gatekeeping, I guess, is is because there still has to be some center, some defined center. It's not, it, it's, it's, um, uh, there's still a well there, you know, there in the middle, um, in the cattle example, they're still playing soccer, right? Uh, like, um, there, there's to have a center. There is some definition to that center or, or, or it turns out to just be nothing. And so, what, what I want to say is that boundary keeping um, is not a great, fair, or loving expression of faith in, in the vast majority of instances. Um, I do think, though, 
that when it comes to clarifying the center, I think work needs done there. And so when somebody says, listen, um, either we don't have the real words of Jesus or they've been grossly distorted and misunderstood, but this Jesus didn't rise from the dead. This Jesus, you know, never claimed to be born of a virgin. And I don't know that he did. Um, but you know, the, the stuff that we find weird, offensive and odd, we just can kind of throw out and I can be a generic fan of Jesus and call myself a Christian. That's where I want to go. I'm not so sure about that. Like if you, like I would, I would throw in some stuff in the middle there that seems pretty central to the faith. Like Jesus was real and Jesus really died and Jesus rose from the dead and that Jesus is Lord. I mean, that was the earliest confession of the earliest Christians, simply Jesus is Lord. And how do we know he's Lord is because he was vindicated through a bodily resurrection. Yeah. And, um, and uh, you know, otherwise Caesar is one. I mean, actually. So, so what I want to throw out, Tim, is in response to my friend saying, yeah, yeah, but aren't you the guy? Yeah, totally. And, and maybe I'm inconsistent, no question. Um, but there does seem to be a place where the center does have to be defined. And for me, I mean, if, if someone said, hey, what's the center of the whole faith? I'm going to quote Paul, right? I mean, Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose again, and then he appeared. And, um, and I think there's more to it than that, that I would, you know, I mean, I, I do think the Bible is unique and inspired in some ways. I think God is real, and I have independent reasons for believing in God, but like if I... Like if, if you start messing with that stuff, then just, then just don't call yourself Christian. Just invent, invent some other thing. Cause that's, it kind of seems like that's what you're already doing, you know? Yeah. Kind of so, it almost, and you can tell me if I'm off basis here, but <clears throat> it kind of sounds like, you know, saying you're a Marxist or, you know, something, something like that, where you, you have found a philosophy that you appreciate that you think has tenets that are pretty cool and, uh, are might better the world and yeah. then you and then you take on that name just in like theory and philosophy but not in this you know this bigger sense that we're talking about here yeah 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 i mean why why give your allegiance to the christian story if it just the christian story is just another version of of good wins over evil like what's definitive about the christian story that's not definitive of other stories i mean end game Dude, in-game shows, <laughs> right? No, we no spoilers here, but no spoilers. No, I think I think you're right. I mean, it's like I I I have great affection for some of the teachings of Buddhism, yeah, absolutely. and about desire and about you know the frustration of desire and and um, but but I wouldn't call myself a Buddhist because I'm not committed to the whole the whole program. And and what I don't want to say is that Christianity is an all or nothing proposition when it comes to so much of the Bible, you know, the divine violence or hell or whatever. But I, but I, I, I do want to say there does come a point when you have to wrestle with the uniqueness of Jesus and the Christian witness to that uniqueness and decide whether or not you buy that. And if you don't buy that, that's fine. That's fine. But I don't know that Christian's the best word for you <laughs> at that point. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like, and that, and that's what you know. I, again, I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but but if if Christoph asks me, "Hey, am I a Christian?" 
And I don't believe in the, and again, who cares about what he believes or doesn't believe? But if you believe that beliefs work themselves out practically, hey, I don't believe in the virgin birth. I don't believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus. Am I a Christian? And I'd say, ah, probably not. Why? Well, because the earliest Christians were those who claimed that Jesus had risen from the dead. Right. So if you're talking about Christian in like the modern American sort of, you know, that sense, okay, fine. But if you're talking like the people that were martyred for their faith or the people that were, you know, risking everything to follow this Jesus, um, they weren't doing it because they didn't believe in the resurrection. They weren't doing it because they thought Jesus was just another instance of the grand story that love triumphs over evil. They were doing it because they believe that Jesus had really spoken to them and that he was risen in that sense. And so, so I do think, you know, at some point and then, and then, you know, of course, um, she, uh, she gets a ton of hate, which is so idiotic for this. Oh, she said, I mean, she wrote a series of tweets, you know, a couple of days later and just said, you know, someone sent me a, a picture of an ISIS beheading, Um, you know, I mean, this is why women shouldn't be ministers. Uh, you know, I, you know, just, just horrendous. And so if you, if you jettison historic Christianity, because Christians are idiots, I can half understand that, you know, (laughs) um, uh, she says, what was my crime to earn such condemnation? I don't believe exactly what other Christians believe. Um, but the vitriol I receive for simply describing my beliefs reveals a deeper problem within Christianity, wherein soundness of doctrine, soundness of doctrine is prized more than how we treat people. That's true. That's absolutely true. And, and, and according to Jesus, your theology isn't sound unless it, it results to love, right? And, and I don't mean the warm, fuzzy sort of modern sensibilities about love. I mean, the, the rugged truth telling, like, we're going to work this out sort of love that characterizes good marriages. You know, that's what I mean when I talk about love, right? When Paul says, let's love working or it's faith working itself out in love. So she's right that if, if we don't agree with someone's doctrine, then, then all bets are off. We can be total a-holes to that person in the name of Jesus, which, which is just as horrific, right? They, that's even the greater heresy. I mean, if we're going to start throwing that word around, but um, she, that she says, um, yeah, she goes on to say, Hey, listen, I would never want to convince anyone to believe. Otherwise I have lots of friends who believe in the body resurrection, blah, 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 blah. She says, the only theology I say we must reject is that which causes harm to others. Bigoted theology that denigrates LGBTQIA plus people, patriarchal God talk, which oppresses women, faith that undergirds nationalism and war, beliefs that propagate white supremacy. Um, Nothing I said in my uh, interview harms others. They are simply reflections on my faith, how I relate and understand God, how I hear God calling me to live in love and grace, how I understand resurrection's deep power. Um, So the question for me is, is it possible to self-identify my way into Christianity regardless of how much of it I believe. And there seems in the scriptures to be a no. (laughs) Um, uh, And I know there's like the funny in me is, is peeking out or whatever, but, but I, I, there has to be a center, right? There has to be. 
And um, and so I mean, what, what's the what's the alternative? If, <laughs> well, the, I mean, alternative, I, the alternative is this. Yeah, exactly. It's this. Mean, it's the, with no center and not even doing the borders. You're just kind of, you know, we're all just Well, no, she of, has borders. Right. Any theology the that harms people. The, yeah, right. Yeah. Right? Any but, theology that isn't love. Yeah. And um and so, you know, that's its own that's its own sort of view uh these days. So I get that. But but I but I kind of want to say and man, I know this is so tricky. <laughs> I say this with fear and trembling. But I'm an outward I'm an outward processor, so I'm just going to try it. Keep it weird. Keep it weird. I so she says, you know, my statements didn't harm people. I I don't know. She said my statement nothing I said in my interview harms others and I'm like, ah, part of me goes, I don't think that's true. Like not she didn't harm anybody unless she was mean-spirited or bigoted or whatever. I'm sure she's wonderful. But the idea that that you get to come to Christianity and negotiate the terms of surrender and that that you can if there are parts that offend our modern scientific sensibilities, it's you can hold on to kind of the the general sweep and principles of the thing without, you know, getting your hands dirty with uh, with some of the nut of your claims. I, I want to push back on that and say I do think that's harmful. You know, it's 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 when when people disagree with Christianity and and say, um you know, that, that it harms LGBTQ people, the sexual ethic it, it promotes is, is harmful. I find that much more honest than saying it doesn't promote the sexual ethic we always thought it did. Like there's one scholar I really respect. who was just was like, you know what? The Bible teaches uh, homosexuality and sex outside of marriage is wrong. And it, and the Bible itself is just wrong. <laughs> you know, there's some, I mean, I, I, so if she just wants to say like, yeah, this is what the Bible teaches, but man, I just, I, I don't buy it. That's fine. But that isn't, that isn't what it is to be Christian, right? I mean, that to be Christian is to hold on to the center. And part of the center is this person of Jesus. And part of the person of Jesus is that fully human, fully uh, God, um, there's some, some sort of death that accomplished some sort of possibility of rescue and salvation, some sort of uh, you know, some sort of real burial that we don't know what happened <laughs> during, but there was a real death and, and then a real resurrection. Um, and, and I, I understand that for hundreds of years, people have tried to divorce Christianity from the, those historical sort of, of things. And, and people will still continue to do that. And okay. Um, I, I just, I, I don't know that we can't say if if she on the one hand is going to say, well, no, theology really does harm people, right? If it's God talk that hurts women, if it's God talk that hurts uh, sexual minorities, then absolutely theology, you know, harms. Um, I, then I want to open up the possibility that 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 saying to people, hey, you can uh, give your whole heart to this Jesus and not believe what the Bible says about him. Um, I, I don't know that that's true. I just don't know that that's true, you know? And, uh, part of me hates saying that because I want to grant everyone permission to be in process, 
But, you know, at some point you're married or you're not at some, you know, you can date forever. I mean, but if you're dating someone 30 years, it's like, okay. <laughs> and, and people do that and that's whatever. But, um, but to say then that, that there, there's no point to the, to the ceremony, there's no reality behind the covenant. I don't know. I just don't agree. You know, I think there's something to it. And, um, I, I just don't, I, I don't want to call everything Christian that if it's vaguely, I mean, and I, and, and, and she doesn't either. That's the thing, right? I mean, she doesn't want to, 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 to acknowledge the, the uh, child abuse story that is so often passes as gospel, that that's Christian. And she doesn't want to say that, that the way we understand some of the teachings of Paul in a manner that harms women, that that's Christian. And obviously, so she's doing the same thing. Um, I just want to locate it differently. Her center is love and love defined in a very accepting, inclusive sense. The problem with Jesus is that he's exclusive too. And you can't, uh, and I hate it, but you can't just get around those statements where he's like, listen, guys, if you don't hate your mother and father, and many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say, I never knew you. I mean, what's he doing there? You know, it's like, you just can't, you can't just say, oh, yeah, but he's so warm and fuzzy and he loves everybody. Well, that's true. But, but he rebuked the religious people, even though he loved them, right? He, he called sinners to repentance. I mean, at some point you just lose Jesus. And if you've lost Jesus, you lose Christianity. It's end of story, right? Cause I don't want to, I don't want to make a big separation between faith in Jesus and faith in Christianity. And she does. And I just want to say, I don't think you can do it. I don't think you can do it. If I, if I can't trust that the gospel writers told the truth about Jesus, then why would I trust anything about Jesus? Yeah. You know what I mean? I think this is a very uh, interesting conversation. That's gonna, <laughs> well, like going forward, it needs to stay. Cause I had this conversation today about with somebody who's, who's struggling and uh, there's been so like, you know, it, this has been a conversation on this podcast. Um, how to read the Bible, how the yeah. Bible breaks down into the way, like what kinds of literature each section is and how you should approach that and how you should interpret that. And, uh, I think there's a lot of people who are wrestling with, um, Oh yeah. Oh just yeah. Just the idea of like, if one of these things isn't true or if we interpreted it incorrectly or, or any of these kind of things, then they're just like, they're, you know, they're, they're going into a free fall. Yep. And they're trying to hear Jesus through that. And, you know, in some ways, I think that's how this is a dangerous statement because it, I mean, this is throwing out, she's throwing out some huge tenets of faith. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so I think that, you know, this is, there's so many people that are listening to this that are struggling with, you know, just that, just what is truth and what is God trying to say? And, and how do I reconcile these, these new things, these new theories, all this kind of stuff. And yes, you know. Yeah. But buddy, I do. And, and that's why I'm so like, I, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Um, but that's why I want to be so careful, man, when people are reconstructing that, that you can still be moving towards Jesus, not have all this lined up. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that's big. Well, I think, I think it's huge. It's just that when, when Christian ministers, are saying, hey, you don't have to believe some of the central tenets of Christianity to be a Christian, then then I kind of get fussy. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, but if you're listening and you're like, dude, I don't buy it, but I find some of Jesus compelling that perfect. That's awesome. That's why we do this. Um, asking. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm not going to pretend that there aren't at the end of the day, some things that if you never nail them down, it's okay. But, but if you're, if you're going to go into the world as a follower of Jesus, um, I don't know how much we get to pick and choose on the thing, you know? And, and, and I think we've misunderstood a lot, no question. I, and I, I, I even, I, there was a great headline in USA Today, which I don't read the paper, but I read, I, I, I follow their Twitter feed. So here's the line. Um, churches will continue hemorrhaging members until we face the truth. Being a faithful Christian does not mean accepting everything the Bible teaches. Wow. That was today. Yeah. Isn't that it? Isn't that yeah. it? And, and I mean, that's what your friend's saying. I mean, that, that's what this person's saying, like God, and, and, and I, I know what they mean in this instance is about LGBTQ people. And, um, and so I have no doubt, and I'm an advocate of rereading in light of things that we're learning about human life and the world and whatever, going back to those ancient texts and saying, okay, let's wrestle with this. Um, I just don't think that, that if we reject Christianity, great. You know, if somebody chooses to reject it, okay. I mean, that's, if you've, if you've considered it and you're just like, I can't buy it, that's fine. I just want to make sure it's the right Christianity they're rejecting. For sure. You know what I mean? Yes. And, and that's where I'm like, I, I don't, the, it wasn't a watered down love conquers evil faith that exploded in the first century. It was, Hey, you're going to lose your job. You have to flee your home. You might be martyred in the arena, right? What, you know, I mean, and, and even today, um, people aren't, people aren't being persecuted for an idea. They're not being persecuted for some abstract conception. They're being persecuted because they believe they have this, this Jesus thing in a way that transcends his physical life, death, um, and, and, and in a way that we call resurrection, that Jesus is still alive and active in the world today and calling and, and moving and doing all of those sorts of things. And that's where I'm, that's where I'm like, there has to be some place where you say, let's just call it something else then. Um, because I, I want, I, if somebody reads this article and says, oh, that's what being a Christian is, and they accept it or reject it, I would argue they haven't really accepted or rejected Christianity um, in the same way that if they hear just the nasty God, God hates you, um, you know, you're still in your sin, God is awful, and he takes it out on Jesus, they haven't heard real Christianity either. So, so on both sides of the conservative and the kind of the progressive theological spectrums, like, I think it's, it's very similar error. And then the question of course becomes, well, how, how do you know your Christianity is any, any different and not just another version of the other Christianities? And then we're into some really interesting stuff, baby. Woo. <laughs> Dang. But you know what this I want to do, and, and I don't, being a, a faithful Christian does not mean accepting everything the Bible teaches. Now, if what that means is, hey, we've learned that what we thought the Bible teaches isn't what the Bible actually teaches, I'm in. Yeah. All in. 
and I'm in if it means, hey, um, the, the Bible doesn't address some of what we're dealing with now. And we've got to just kind of make it up as, as faithful people led by the spirit and immersed in the scriptures. Okay. I'm up for that. Uh, you know, the Bible doesn't deal with, uh, in vitro and the Bible doesn't deal with, I mean, massive, massive issues that we're wrestling with in our culture. But, but if it means that, um, that, that I, I get to on the basis of whatever, um, pick and choose between some of the central stuff that that's formed 2000 years of tradition. Well, then I, then I get a little, I get a little fussy. Uh, uh, although I would argue that list is very, very small, right? It's not as big as, so I would totally disagree with the boundary people who are like, you got to believe this about creation and believe this about, you know, predestination and this about whether you can lose salvation or this about the inerrant Bible and da, 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 da. I mean, that drives me crazy. Um, but I don't know. There's still a center and I think the center has to be defined and clarified. So anyway, holy crap, dude, I, I would imagine, I would love to hear from our audience, either on our Facebook page, um, which is Vox podcast with Mike Gary, just like that page and you can participate or in some other context, hello at voxpodcast.com or whatever. Where do you think gatekeeping is important? Like, when is it important? Now, now we haven't talked about how, how gatekeeping should be done, right? Because it should be done in love. It should be done uh, with, with uh, a heart in, in the Bible's words towards correction. And again, that doesn't mean I'm right, you're wrong. That means rather uh, we're going to work together to, to submit ourselves to the text to see what it really says. Um, uh it should be done in, in a context that's safe. And, uh, you know, I'm the biggest sinner in the room and all of that sort of stuff. But if, if we've got a Christianity where nothing is essential to it, then, then we, then we don't have Christianity. We've just got something else. And, um, I do think there's some more essentials, you know, if, if you're going to give your allegiance to Jesus. So anyway, and, and, and I'm, man, again, my outward processor and, and it's interesting, the people that were responding to Jesus, how many of these essentials did they have? I mean, they didn't know resurrection was coming. Yeah. They didn't know uh, God was the second person of the Trinity or that Jesus was second person. I mean, right. So, um, you know, even, even the, the, the thief on the cross who just says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Well, okay. He's moving towards Jesus. He's in, um, so, so even the centered set thing gets fuzzy. I totally get that. Um, anyway, anyway. All right. I'm done. I'm in trouble. It's over. <laughs> Don't edit. But please do. Please do. Yeah. I'm not going to edit anything. Please. Uh, all you folks out there do chime in on Facebook. There's some good conversations happening on there and Mike's on Instagram. Oh boy. Which there's also conversations happening on there. And that's just Vox Podcast on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. I'm just a big, big deal. I'm a Mike big is the king of deal. social media and of the <laughs> internet. Uh, I'm just blessed for you, my friend. I really, I'm so conflicted by all of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's like I want, of course, I want people to find the podcast or 
Um, you know, I think we're doing, I think we're doing good stuff, but just the world of prom- self-promotion these days is so toxic. It's gross. It but is gross. We can use, these are great tools ah. for, you know, uh, what did we have on the, you know, we had folks from Scotland and a couple from Africa and a few other far, you know, corners that are far away from Ohio <laughs> who are piping in in conversation <laughs> with each other. So if anything... Yeah. You know, hopefully yeah, that's these, good. That's these good. platforms can be great little community communities to have conversations and to wrestle with this stuff. And so come and wrestle with us, please. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, my friends, wow. That's all I got. I just put a tic tac in my mouth. <laughs> that says game over. That's the end game right there. I had yes. We're in the end game. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, may he give you peace. And uh, my brothers and sisters, thanks for the deep, deep honor of of participating a little bit in your journey. And uh, I do always hope and pray that it's helpful. So until next time, my friends, thanks. Thanks.